Let's begin again with this 26th verse. Romans 8, 26. Likewise the Spirit also. Likewise the Spirit also, A-L-S-O, also, helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Of course, in reference to the supernatural languages of tongues. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the plan, the mind of the Spirit. Because he makes intercession for you and I, the saints, according to the will of God, which is his will for our lives in that plan. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God who are called according to His purpose. Now we got into a study somewhat on the Godhead last night. And I don't mind telling you, I had a good time. Well, I had a good time. As we found out from John 1, 1, that in the beginning, that is, before anything had a beginning, was the Word, and the Word was with God, the Word was God, and the same was in the beginning with God. In fact, we got to study in who Jesus was before He was manifested as the Son of God, whom you and I have come to know, come to love. We studied a little bit who He was in eternity's past as the Logos, and who he is now. And we begin to study once again the role of the Holy Spirit in redemption because he is the one who has been sent to indwell us. To sell out to Jesus is to sell out to the Holy Spirit for he is the one that reveals Jesus. So we were studying more and more of his work in our lives to lead us out particularly of everything Jesus said we're free from and into everything that he said that we are. And oh, I'm feeling something starting to bubble. Now he said in that 26th verse, likewise the Spirit helpeth our, our what? Infirmities. infirmities. Now the simple fact that he said our infirmities, meaning that whatever these infirmities are, they are something that the Holy Spirit has been sent to help. And in order for you and I to understand the walk of the Spirit and what He has come into our lives to help, then the thing that we have to understand fully is what the infirmities are that He's relating to. Because if he's been sent to help my infirmities, I would like to know what infirmities he is helping. Because if it takes the Holy Spirit to help them, then they must be the things that stop me. <laughs> so that would be worth revealing, would it not? Yes. That's what we're going to be on for quite a while. I will say this as we begin to dive in. The further I get away from my infirmities, away from them, the more dominant I get into peace. <laughs> I don't know how to explain this, and I know I keep going back over it, but the Lord keeps bringing this up. That the thing to keep looking for is the peace. Now, I... I can't get away from it because we probably haven't had enough of it. Now, when I entered into the last seeking time, and now how many of you understand a little bit more when I use the terminology of impasses? Please raise your hand if you know what an impasse is. <laughs> now, if you had asked me, three or four years ago, Brother Roberson, are you walking in peace? 
I'd have said, yes. Well, you say it. Are you walking in peace? Yes. Because peace is relative. And I'd said, yes, I was. But if you ask me now, because it is relative, peace is always comparable. That if I compare what I'm walking in now to two or three years ago, and you ask me now, about two or three years ago, I'd say, my God, half the time I was in turmoil. <laughs> but I would have said to you then, I'm in peace. Because I was able to handle everything. But as I grow further and further from the infirmity that he has been sent to help, and drawing closer and closer into Jesus, that I thought that when he finally made me understand the qualification for what he's been showing me for 15 years, in fact, even longer, longer, I think from the day almost as born again, felt the Holy Ghost and understood what a call was, I have been consumed. The day the Holy Spirit came on me in, in a fire-like manner, until that time I had stammering lips. I could utter a few words out, kind of broken. But me and my wife was praying late, had my hands raised up. She's laying her hands on me. She's saying, God, I didn't even speak with tongues because he can't speak English. And my hands heated up and it went into my elbow and I fell down under the power. When I hit the floor, it literally knocked the wind out of me. And when it knocked it out of me, it came out in the most fluent language. And I don't talk a lot about it because people tend to look for some special kind of experience upon receiving the Holy Spirit. And you simply receive Him. You simply receive Him, He starts talking. There don't have to be any dramatics with it, any emotionalism or anything. He just receive him. All of a sudden, this, your mouth is wanting to talk this funny language. You know, that's it. <laughs> it's nice when the whole building goes out under the power and can't get up for three days, but it's not necessary. See, you receive him, you receive him. Well, I went down under the power backwards and knocked the wind out of me, and I immediately retreated into the spirit, didn't even know what it was. I felt like I was at the end of a long tunnel, and I was lost in there. I mean, lost in the Spirit, and I could hear somebody speaking all these languages. And and I realized when I started coming out of it, it was me. I'd speak it, sound like in German for a while, and in Japanese a while, and my hands were tingling, my face went numb, my body went numb, I couldn't feel myself. And then when I come out of it, he says, I called you. He said, my call's on you. My wife had a vision. And she's seen mountains of people disappearing. Hallelujah. So it knocked the wind out of me. And as I retreated that end of that tunnel, I heard myself. My face was numb. Everything says, I called you. And my wife had a vision of a giant hand just spanning the crowd like that. And people that had faces that was eaten off with leprosy and their faces came back on and all kinds of things just as that hand went over the crowd and for 15 years I don't know if I self-induced a kind of hallucination but the hunger was so strong that I'd get lost praying in the Holy Ghost and some kind of vision would come to me and I could just see I closed my eyes I could see it and I'd see crowds and crowds of people with revival just coming to God by the thousands and not just in foreign countries he specifically said I've called you to America that's why he's given me a teaching ministry as well as uh, Japan is a nation he's given us Japan never had a major revival ever and he's given us Japan but I'm saying all that because I got so hungry in the last five years that I, I started launching into fastings and prayings and 
and thinking, boy, you know, old men of God did that. And, and that's when I came to the revelation of what an impasse was and how he deals with the flesh, how he reveals things that's putting a ceiling on your life, how he deals with spiritual unbelief, how he deals with the flesh and the understanding of all of it so I could walk away from it. Because I thought that the qualification would be Jesus walking into the room and saying, Get up. This is it. I'm going to judge you. And no disease will ever stand in your presence again. <laughs> I kept waiting for him to come in. He never came. Well, how about an angel? Whomp, whomp. Bolt of lightning or something. <laughs> Well, I came through the last impasse. And I came out feeling funny. Different feeling I ever had in my life. And uh, it, something had settled down on the inside of me. And to try to talk about it was strange because I never experienced anything like that. And Jesus began to minister to me. He says, this is what you should have been looking for. Because here's your qualification. He says, I'm, I'm putting this foundation of peace unto you. He says that hell can pour out everything they have and it won't stop you. He says, it can't stop you. <laughs> you have nothing to be devoured with. He says, it's a piece of steel on the inside of you that you will not have to accept things the way that they are. Because he says, you can change them. See, he began to qualify me with this peace, which I hadn't walked in before. And, and when I, I keep talking about it because it's the newest thing that's ever happened to me and the strongest and the sweetest in 15 years. You know, you heard preachers burn out, I'm burn in. <laughs> <laughs> burn out my foot you get burnt out because you take the care Amen. you know Lester Summerall that said what killed John G. Lake in Spokane with the healing center was it all those people that he ministered to day and night until he became fatigued and exhausted they said he killed himself he overworked himself old lester summerall said our hard work never killed a man he ought to know he's 75. he says our hard work never killed a man but carrying the care it will and as part of walking out of this infirmity i used to think well you know, cleansing from drinking and smoking and chewing and all them kind of... And all them things really are is a byproduct. It is a fruit of something that needs to be taken care of greater than the manifestation. And that's all care is. Care is just a care fruit growing on a tree. That The greater problem is the root. And he began to deal with me these things that part of walking out of the infirmities and the thing that the Holy Spirit has sent me to walk out of is that care and that pressure and that firmity because it is, it is through the Spirit that you mortify the deeds of the body. Wow. <laughs> when we start talking about taking no care, my friend, it is a wonderful, wonderful place. And the Holy Spirit has been given to you to take you to that place. And you know that you're getting qualified for revival, intercession, and power like you have never walked in before when you start qualifying in that peace. Now, it is the strangest thing because at times in my life I had attained to a little portion of it. But never anything that come and moved in me gave me the steel to know I'm going to make it. But at times I had attained to degrees of peace. And it was times particularly when I spent long amounts of time praying in the Holy Ghost simply to nothing but personal edification. 
In them days, I knew very little about the deep intercessional groanings of the Spirit because it hardly ever came on me. But the one that I could operate in continually was the tongues for personal edification. When I'd have a meeting that night within 50 miles of our home, I'd go out to the riverbed. The riverbed was dry, and I remember the little green rocks. And I'm getting graphic because I want you to get this. And I'd walk up and down the riverbed. You know, first I'd actually spread a blanket, and it's in Oregon in the woods by one of them rivers. As a matter of fact, it was Willamette, little Oak Ridge, Oregon. And I'd go out in the woods, and I'd find a place by the river, and it was kind of dried up a little bit, being the summer. First I'd get a blanket and just lay down and start praying in tongues. And sometimes I'd lay there and pray about an hour, and things would kind of start to get quiet. The mind had started quietening down. Because we're going to start kind of some of the nitty gritties now. So my mind would kind of quiet down. And, and after a while, my body would get bored because I didn't know what to do with it. And it seems that your mind is something else. It has its own energy. And just because you tell it, stop, it says, I'm not going to. It's kind of like inertia, just get it rolling and just got its own momentum, you know. And the best you can hope for is to kind of guide it. You know, nope, 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 you're not thinking about that? Mm-mm, naughty, 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 naughty back. You coming back over here. <laughs> and just kind of push the thing in the right direction. And I didn't know what to do with my mind because when I first started praying, nobody knew about praying. I, at least in my part of the country, there's nobody there to teach me. So I continually tried to organize my mind by saying, you know, <clears throat> I cast you down, imagination. And I'd try to fill it with the word all the time. It is my God that supplies all my need according to his riches and glory. And I'd be thinking that. So, and next thing I know, half hour later, I'd been thinking about something else for 15 <laughs> minutes and forgot that I wasn't doing the verses again. <laughs> you know, I went through all them wars, just like you have went through, yes? Yeah. <laughs> so I would get real bad, so I'd get up after about an hour, and I'd walk around, and I'd pick all the little green rocks out and kick them, you know. <laughs> so I'd walk around kicking all another hour would pass. I'd go back and lay on the blanket a while. Kept praying, another hour would pass. My whole mind kept wandering around. You know, it'd want to go on this trip. It'd want to go on that trip. And I finally, I couldn't control the thing, so I just tried to direct what it would think about. <laughs> but to go ahead of the story in the course of time, I don't remember how many months it took, but I came to a place of peace and noticed that I started remembering things that I had forgot 20 years ago. Old streets, people. And these things started coming back to me, and I'm thinking, boy, this is strange. And once when I was preparing for a meeting, I was listening to a Copeland tape, watching myself on TV. <laughs> listening to a Copeland tape, watching myself on TV. At the same time, I was praying in the Holy Ghost and meditating a whole nother message for the service that night out of the Word of God. And I was doing all these things at once. And I noticed that the calmer that I got, the more ability seemed to wake up in my mind. And then the Lord started teaching me on oppression. You ever had a policeman stop you? <laughs> Your driver's license, please. He reached inside. He says, what's your name? Hama, Hama, Hayu. Ah, God, I knew it this morning. I, 
<laughs> See, and that's what pressure, when you're put under it, just for a moment will do, much less living under the ungodly stuff for a matter of time. It'll start affecting your mind, and you'll start getting senile and pressured, and it's the strangest thing, because a man can swing a sledgehammer 16 hours a day, and when he gets home, come on, kids, let's go bowling. But another man sat in an easy chair and worry about the job he won't go out and get. <laughs> Sitting there in a dirty under. I confessed it 600 times this morning. Where is it? <laughs> and he's so full of care and worry. By the end of the day, he's so exhausted that all he can do is just tell his kids, shut up. <laughs> Why? Doctors can trace back a high percentage of your diseases and things that go wrong in your body because of care. Why do you want to carry it when he has given you the Holy Ghost? <laughs> I like the woman that won the beauty contest. And at the moment of joy, they captured her tears analyzed them. They had healing agents in them. They had a substance, a chemical substance that promoted healing in the human body. One man who the doctor says is going to die of cancer went and rented him a whole bunch of Laurel and Hardy and slapstick come and laughed his way out of it. <laughs> Three stooges, you know. Whip, 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 whip. And laughed his way out of it. The same night, the man lost his wife. And at this most grief stricken moment, they captured his tears, only to find there was a chemical substance that actually promoted the image that was in him, which was death. He was grieving himself to death, and his body was actually dying on him. It is a strange thing about care. And here there was that tribe in Turkey. I was flying overseas for a meeting, and they brought this special on. Now that this tribe in Turkey, I never will forget it. The premier of Russia, he came to this woman's birthday party. And it was probably because they traced her back for approximately 130 years. And this woman was doing the Russian dance at 130 years old. You know, so a team of doctors from the U.S. went up there because people were living to be a hundred years old in that village. I mean, they were still going out and chopping wood till noon and hauling the wood back and bathing themselves in the ice-cold streams. And here the grandkids, grandkids, grandkids would bathe them, you know, help them throw water on them. They're 95, 96, 97, 100 years old. These old men running around. <laughs> So this team of doctors went up there because they want to know why are you living so long. Of course, we put a lot of stock in help. And uh, I'd like to tell you why, and we'll get into that somewhat. You know, not, not a cultish, lawful, God, blah, blah, kind of thing, but as an asset to fasting because he said your health will spring forth speedily. And it's from within, meaning... Just because of house cleaning, your body will heal itself. So there is aspects to health, and there is something to the things that you eat. I mean, doctors are having to admit it now. <laughs> I had a psoriasis on my foot since I was 19 years old. It left it bleeding, cracked, and I worked the mill, and it was up my foot this far. And I got into the Word and believed God, and believed God, and stood and confessed and confessed, and it burned and cracked and confessed and confessed and did everything every great faith man did. But folks, it was on my third fast 
that I reached such a deep state of cleansing that my foot cleared up. Doctors said it was couldn't be cured. Yeah, well, it's gone. <laughs> That's okay. My hair quit falling out, too. <laughs> anyway, so these doctors says, is, this, is it these guys' health? Is it they must be high mountain tribe, grind their own food, organically raise their own gardens? Nah, they was popping cans out and opening them. <laughs> The woman was 130, drank her glass of vodka and chewed. Well, Sonny, I'll tell you. <laughs> you know, 70 years of practice, you can hit that spittoon, you know. <laughs> Not that we'd advocate it, but it still happened. <laughs> so after studying these people for six months or so, they could only come to one conclusion. If you wanted to film at noon, you know, you tell them you want to film at nine. <laughs> They'd be there at noon. The whole time they was there, they claimed they never heard a crossword between children and grandfather, husband, wife. They said the whole village seemed to have a, a quiet, very calm, slow rate that nobody got excited about nothing. Nobody seemed to have any care, just wandered around and did their job and lived and loved. And so there was such peace there that they started to examine their vascular systems, their heart. And by golly, the absence of stress and pressure, you know, you can't pull up behind the car and you catch yourself, idiot, get out of the way. Well, you're going to be 15 minutes early anyway. What are you going to do when you get there anyway? What good did it do you? <laughs> you get behind the car, you know. It just really grates me. It just rubs me the wrong way. Why? <laughs> the only reason they could figure for these people living so long was that somehow they settled into a pace of life that they seemed to have no care. And their, their bodies was affected because of it. And I found out that my mind, that the longer periods of time that I would free it from oppression and pressure and care, that the more it began to return to itself. Let me tell you something about your capabilities when you learn how to operate out of the Spirit. I don't know. He's leading this way for a reason, I guess. Let you know what's in store for you. It's wonderful. <laughs> I mean, it's absolutely wonderful. When you think about the capacity of the first man, Adam, think about him. Did you know that not only did he name all the animals, but retained in his memory the name of them? 300 years later, what's that bug's name? Beetle. Cat. Not bad. Camel. Your spirit has the capacity to receive and store up to one million bits of pieces of information per second. That's why he communicates with your spirit. And God will send something over to your spirit and turn it loose. It's like a computer chip releasing its program. All of a sudden you go, my God, I know everything. I just don't know how I know it. And it takes the servant, the mind, three months sometime to decipher and to pull out what came across to your spirit in 30 seconds. Why, and in a half a second, you can receive enough information to save your whole business, and it takes you three days to have your secretary put it on a piece of paper and get it to the business. 
to how did I get it? I don't know. All of a sudden, we call it a revelation, just exploded in my spirit, and I understood seven hours of material, how to reorganize our whole business, and I don't even know how I got it. The Holy Spirit communicated with your spirit because your spirit is capable of receiving His communication. So Adam operated out of his spirit. All his mind was was a servant. Now once in a while you'll get a man like Einstein. Has a lot of gray matter. He caught a floating gene. You know, he... That gene came down through the ages, Adam, and it programmed him, and he got a brain closer to Adam's than our brain. And he's figuring theories and, and, and mathematical formulas and relativity and infinity. And he's figuring all, he's figuring theories on things that we didn't even know was there. Say, so how can you have a mathematical formula for this? And we don't even know that that realm existed. Because he had intellect. He caught a floating gene from Adam. Then there'll be somebody come along like myself. You know, my God, you just never heard anybody sing quite like I do. I caught a floating gene from Adam. <laughs> then there'll be somebody come along at Hagen. You know how Hagen talks about man, they sure easy to look at. You know, they got a floating gene and got their looks. Because he is perfect. Perfect. Spirit, soul, and body. Perfect specimen of a man. And when he fell, degeneration began to set in. And thank God, the Holy Spirit has been sent to help our what? Our infirmities and our weaknesses or the limitations that has been imposed on us by this flesh while it is waiting for glorification. <laughs> So when a man begins to learn how to operate out of the Spirit, so here I am, you know, praying in tongues in the longer periods of time that I remained in peace, the more my mind began to wake up. I'm going to tell you things that I've told very few people. Out. When I try to guide my mind, as having problems because your mind has its own energy and it would want to think about what it wanted to think about. So the wrong thoughts had come and I'd cast them down. Then my mind would start exploring some vast problem that was plaguing the ministry. And I'd cast it down. You know, I don't receive that. Get away from me, unbelief. Because I'll not receive the care. And I'd go to praying in tongues. Pretty soon that whole problem would start feeding through me. And I don't receive the care, you know. What's it going to do? You don't have any income coming in. No meetings for two weeks. Nobody wants you to preach. Cupboards are almost empty. What's it going to do? What's it going to do? The problem would try to feed in. And I'd, I rebuke you. I cast you down. I'd start praying in tongues. Well, when I attained to a certain amount of peace, do you know I'd go to bed at night? And sometimes that problem would be on me. And I'd fall asleep thinking about the problem. Now, how many of you ever woke up in the twilight hours of the morning? You know, your eyes pop open first thing in the morning. And all of a sudden that problem comes back. But not only does it come back, but the answer comes back to it. And you go, my God, I know what to do about that problem. You slept on it. They say, sleep on it. And people have found out that works. Sleep on it. So when you open your eyes, you say, hey, I know how to solve that problem. And the answer comes immediately. And let me tell you why. Because you went to sleep thinking about the problem. It was actually fed into your spirit. And guess what? It got solved in there. And the next morning, when you opened your eyes, the Holy Spirit said, hey, look. Their mind isn't taking them down a traditional path that their mother taught them and their father taught them and their father and their mother taught them about religion. Now's the time to slip the answer in that they didn't believe existed. So he catches your mind out there on an untraditional path and slips it in on you. You go, my God, I know what to do about it. Otherwise, you're so steeped a lot of times in imagination, traditions of men, you can't receive the answer when the Holy Ghost hits you between the eyes like a sledgehammer. So this is why praying in the Holy Ghost will bring you to that state. 
you know, of not having to sleep on it, but, buddy, you can receive it back in your closet. So when he began to teach me this about peace, I says, hey, you know that problem that's feeding into me? It's not really bothering me, and I used to spend all my energy getting rid of it. Back, you fool. No care is coming into my camp. That was when I thought the fight with care was an external thing. Take care, Brother Roberson. Don't you ever tell me to tear. Don't you ever tell me to take care. I don't receive it. Well, the way you're acting just tickles me to death. Don't ever mention death in my presence. You, you paint me a picture of a man full of care. That's what you're doing. And fear. So after I entered into a relative amount of peace, I'm thinking, well, it's not really bothering me. I don't know what's going on. But my mind began to explore problems. And because it wasn't getting naughty, I let it go. <laughs> so I says, well, go ahead, mind. And my spirit praying, and my mind going, mm-hmm. Yeah, there's this problem in the business. So my mind's going, mm-hmm. And this deadline and this wall, if you don't get past this, this isn't going to happen. Uh-huh, and if you don't sell that old truck, you won't get an economy car to come to the meetings in. Ah, so So I'm, all these impasses are coming. I'm praying, and I'm entering further and further into edification with stammering lips in another tongue. This is the rest. This is the refreshing. Here with you'll cause the weary. And after my mind explored the problem, then I found out that a certain place in the problem that there'd be a pause and the Holy Spirit say, okay, boys, now. And He would inject the answer. And I'd go, my God, that's what I'll do. And the Holy Spirit would take me through the problem for the simple reason at the right point to be able to get the answer over to me. So I prayed for several months until I entered into that state of rest. And then instead of fighting with my mind, I found out it would work for me. So he just fed all this problem through me so that he could feed the answer at the right moment. I go, my God, that's what I'll do about that problem. And sure enough, every time it would be the answer. <laughs> well, let me give you a teeny example. My accountant was upset with me. He threw all the bills. And he said, what are you going to do about these bills? I'd been in the ministry about a year. And I said, well, I'm going to pay them. He says, he says do you have the money? I says, no, I don't have it in my hand right now. He says, I says, but they're paid by faith. He says, I need something more concrete to go on than that. And I says, I said, well, I don't have anything more concrete than the Word of God. But uh, I said, but they are paid. And, of course, I could be disturbed in them days, but I knew what to do about it, so I'd retreat to the closet. And I was out there praying, and then this young man had come wanted to travel with me, and his name's Augie David from India. He came to travel with me, and, and so I'm out in the woods praying and praying and praying and praying and walking and praying, you know, fighting the care and all of that, and... <laughs> and so I finally prayed through to that place of peace, you know, and came into the house and was going to get ready to go to a meeting. Got a telephone call. And this preacher's on. He says, is Augie David working for you? I said, yes. He lived with a widow woman in Portland. I said, yeah. And he left her with $400 worth of phone bills to India. I said, he did? He said, yes, he did. <laughs> and he says that he should be more responsible. And if you're his employer and you are a minister, we think that you should take responsibility. And he was a preacher. And in the middle of him ranting and raving, the Holy Spirit turned on. 
And he said to me, he said, you want to know why he's ranting and raving? I said, wow, this is all right. <laughs> he, he's talking. <laughs> he says, you want to know why he's ranting and raving? I says, why? He says, because of condemnation. I said, he's condemned. He says, yeah, because I told him to pay it. He said, but that's okay. I also, if he would have said yes, then I would have told him what I was going to give him. He said, I was going to bless him with a thousand dollars. I said, my God. He says, but if you'll pay it, I'll give you the same deal. <laughs> I said, wow, you got it. <laughs> so I got a check and snuck into the accountant's office, snuck the check out. Cleaned the account out. We had about $403 in there. Clean, didn't do any good against the bills anyway. Cleaned the account out. Mailed it off. Got Augie David. He says, yeah, I've been standing with faith with everything in me. My confession was paid. I wouldn't have confessed that it wasn't. That's why he didn't tell anybody. He was fighting for it, you know, much as he knew how. So I sent the, we sent the check off, you know. And, and my accountant, I left town the next morning. Boy, when he found out, I was like, anyway, he was, I mean, he was hot. So I'm off in this meeting, make it worse. I went a whole week in the meetings, just a couple of people in it, in a hall, Medford or just a few people ministered, just had enough money to pay the hall that week. And the Lord says, okay extend and I went and checked and sure enough it was available the next week and I went out there and just taught everything I knew the next week and all of a sudden and people started throwing hundred dollar bills in the offering putting the envelopes with hundred dollars is in them I mean you should have seen the offering plate I took it in that night and threw it down and counted the week's offering just threw that money out there and it counted up to $2,300 <clears throat> you should have seen Macho Faith walk into the accountant's office He says, what's this? I said, the offering. <laughs> he counts it out and he says, God really moved, didn't he? I says, yeah. Pay the bills. <laughs> Got a little left over. <laughs> it was tremendous. And why? Because the most definite practical application of the inner witness is if you can make it to that place of peace whenever you go the wrong direction the peace is disturbed you can get back on the right direction the thing that a man should fight for is the entry into that peace because once you start attaining there my friend it gets better and better and better and better and better. All right, let's take her in a little bit further. So oppression and cares and pressures and persecutions. Not only will they rob you, not only will they keep you from the leadership of the Spirit, but they make you devourable by the devil. Amen. A long time term of cares and pressures will cause senality. It'll cause pressures and breakdowns in attitudes of the frail nerves. It'll cause you to digest food that isn't there. Irregular heartbeats, respiratory problems. And ladies, it'll even affect your skin. Tell me about nerves. And then all of these things, why? That's long-term pressure. But this is one of the first things I begin to notice. Was I entered into a different place of rest. And the Holy Spirit began to communicate with me. And it was in those days, the first days of extended times of praying in the Holy Ghost, that my mind began to wake up. Now here's a little bitty testimony. I'm not proud of my past. 
I'm not real proud of uh, the attitude I took towards schooling. I dropped out of high school in my senior year. One of the main reasons was it interfered with the fun that I was wanting to have. I had to support my car, had a louvered hood, big tires <laughs> on the back. I'm a slow starter. I guess at 18, I didn't have many goals and no aim. So I went ahead and joined the Navy. Spent three real wild years in the Navy. Got out of the Navy. Was born again when I was 22 years old. In fact, my wife, I was on a ship with her brother. He's the vilest man I ever knew. I mean, this foul-mouthed guy, and I mean, he's, he, he was worse. <laughs> I never could cuss God. I don't care how bad I got or how drunk I got, I could never cuss God. Never did. Whenever I, I would try, it would bother me so bad, I just couldn't do it. I never understood about calls or anything else. Anyway, he came, and something was happening. He, he flagged me down on the freeway. We both got out of the Navy. And him hauled around and was acting kind of fishy. And finally, he says, I've, I've been born again. He's my brother-in-law now. I've been born again. He says, I want you to go to church with me in the morning. I says, hey, I'm on my way to a party. I'll have a hangover in the morning. But I said, I will go with you maybe tomorrow night. Well, he came by the house that afternoon, brought his sister, <laughs> who's my wife now. When I seen her, I said, I will go for sure. <laughs> well, I went for sure. They picked me up that night, and I'd been to it, you know, as a welfare kid. So thank God the best thing that happened, we moved in with Grandpa. So I said, I'll be drunk. And I was, but when I got a look at her, I said, I'll go. Well, these welfare... We was on welfare, and once in a while, neighbors start feeling sorry for us and come over and worship, ring around their face and take us to a Sunday school. <laughs> so I, off and on, you know, I, I cruised and prayed on churches, you know, just to check them out. But when I went to church that Sunday night, it was a Pentecostal holiness and it was a revival center to where they would have people actually come through like uh, Leroy Jenkins' mother and A.A. Allen's team. And, and I got there, and there was an evangelist there. And I just sat down real smug. I handled everything else in dry, dead church. It didn't bother me. And I'll tell you what. People started falling down on the floor, and I got, what's this? <laughs> Miracles was taking place. And I'm thinking, Wow. It wasn't about three times going back there that the prayer warriors drug me up and was shaking me and saying, Get it, get it to him, God, give it to him. <laughs> uh, me and my wife, we eloped and got married and came back, and, and that's when I prayed through that the first six or seven years of our six or seven months of our marriage when I was running around the front room the power of God came on me. And here I, I was nothing going nowhere to take place. I had no ability, no education. But Grandpa used to get upset once in a while. He'd say, you're going to turn out just like old man Robertson. Our daddy, he, he robbed small gas stations and grocery stores. Had his own little... Bonnie and Clyde operation. <laughs> they give him his choice, prison or the service. And he went in during wartime, truck driver. In 1957, he came up to our house when I was in high school, first time I ever remember anything about him, what he looked like or anything. So that's the last time we seen him. So he drove out of the driveway that day, and that was it. We don't even know if he knows we're alive. 
But when I was born again in ultra-Pentecostal holiness church, you know, I was thinking I lost one daddy like that. Our, our mother died of cirrhosis of the liver and wore her liver out from alcohol. Anyway, I'm thinking I, I, I lost one daddy like that. And now these holiness people are preaching to me that this one's going to beat me, treat me just like my natural daddy did. Ma run him off because she's afraid for our life at times. He'd, she said he'd beat us. I can still remember hiding my airplane under the bed. Ma got it out of grocery money. He'd come home from work, I'd hide it under the bed. When he'd come home from work, sometimes he'd slit the mattress and pull all the cotton out of it and get in it and turn it over. Police would turn the house upside down. They couldn't find him. See. <laughs> anyway, I didn't know why I hid my airplane under the bed, but I remember doing it. And Ma said if he found out, he'd just stomp it. You know, so that, that was the kind of daddy See, that we had had. So anyway, I had these childhood memories and things. And this is hard for me to, to go back. This is one part of my life I have left out. I'm saying it all for a reason. So in this holiness church, I'm thinking, God, okay, okay. So you're going to take everything I got. And they want, one preacher jumped up and preached. My kids stood between me and the ministry, but when they drowned in our swimming pool, he removed what was between me and the ministry, and I answered the call. That's the kind of preaching we heard all the time. Oh, yeah, you sheltered bunch. <laughs> so it wasn't until I, I was 30 years old that somebody handed me my first You Are the Righteousness of God in Christ tapes. And I found out who my daddy was, found out who I was. And then because of a visitation, and I'm winding down now. So hungry for God. He had mercy on me as a holiness boy, 30 years old. Gave me a visitation. Opened my eyes. I thought it would be to the, the bedroom in the morning, but it wasn't. The power of God was on me. It was to a vision. I seen myself sitting four rows back on the left of a large auditorium with people in wheelchairs. Front man was ready to turn it over to me. I knew it was my service. I was sitting back by my wife. He says, now our evangelist. And he spun around, pointed at the curtain, and a woman come out and took the service over. And after she ministered and emptied the wheelchair, she looked right at me and the whole crowd disappeared around us, me and her. She says, I don't know why God has given me this ministry. One of you men must have failed. And I was in uncontrollable weeping. The next morning, or should I say, when I came out of it, my wife woke up. I said, look, I can't live this way anymore. Swim, sink, eat beans, sleep under a tree, dress the kids in gunny sacks, petition the little church off and move into it. Anything is better than what I feel on the inside. I hurt. I said, will you go with me? She said, yes, I will. I resigned my job at the mill with three little kids. I was trying to preach at a little church down the street. I had about six members. Had nothing. Couldn't preach. Couldn't do anything. That was when I locked myself up in the prayer closet at 6.30 in the morning and prayed through until the afternoon just not knowing anything about anything but just praying in tongues to abide the hours that I had locked myself up to in prison. I didn't know I was working the plan of God in my personal life. How could I know that? All I was doing is trying to survive the hours that I would normally be working in a prayer closet. Here I was. Praying in tongues and the plan of God began to activate. And that's when a man brought me as part of that plan.
a box of reel-to-reel Kenneth Hagin tapes, and that's when I got turned on to the Word during that prayer closet time. I'd go home at night after praying all day and thread that old Wilcox reel-to-reel up. It was breaking down on its last leg. Oh, you seen them kind of look like plaid coat? That's how old it was, one of them kind. And it'd croak at a certain spot. Croak, croak. And I'd get a three-hour, one-and-seven-eighths, reel-to-reel Kenneth Hagin tape. And read it. I'm the righteousness. Put it on there. Put the speaker between me and my wife's head. Because I'd be praying all day. Thread that speaker up. And on Kenneth Hagin. I was a young Baptist boy on the bed of affliction. God healed my body. I'd lay there and listen and listen and listen. I remember my wife asked me. Are you married to that speaker? Or are you married to me? <laughs> well, three months later. When I brought a $700. $786 check manifestation in the house. You know. Which caught us up for three months bills. And $100 sewing money. She says, you can put two speakers in there if you want to. <laughs> so God turned on to the Word and started waking up. The more I prayed in the Holy Ghost, the more the renewing process began to take place. Some of the attributes of Adam started waking up. A hunger to know and to learn became so intense on the inside of me. I started to become ashamed for the years that I had wasted. I found out that, thank God, something happened to me in the prayer closet that I didn't have to depend on my ability anymore. Whoa! That I can learn how to depend on His. The first thing I did is begin to work on my language, which I'm still working on. But a highlight happened to me. And I'm saying this for your own edification and your own building up. <laughs> you know Bernard that was playing the piano? Bernard is a, well, he's a political science professor who teaches journalism. He was reading the letter and he says, Who taught you how to write? We got around to. I says, You know, it's the strangest thing. But it was the Holy Ghost that taught me during praying in tongues. Them letters you get, I write them 18, 19 pages on a yellow pad. The only thing they do is spelling and little sentence structuring the things that I thought the flesh was more important to learn in high school. But he looked at these and he says, well, what did the Holy Spirit teach you more or less? The conversation went. And I told him how he taught me to create an image with the pencil. And not to have the image in such a way that you don't have to think about what it's saying. And it leads you to the next one, to the next one, until pretty soon the entire letter is in your understanding. He says, those are the principles we teach in journalism. And, you know, I had to hold back the tears because I'm so hungry. And to find out that through edification and inner peace that my teacher can teach you anything. Had two counseling appointments seven years after answering the ministry. On the same day, and I know God did it for me. Two counseling appointments. Get this. I asked both of them separately if we could go to dinner together. They said, yes, we can. Both of them had got a hold of our meditation, imagery, and delivery series, the one we did for preachers. They got a hold of the series and wanted me to come and counsel with them. Of course, I walked in like I'm going to counsel them, but when they introduced themselves... (laughs) They introduced themselves to each other, me. One of them was a professor of speech, and the other was a professor of languages. And I'm thinking, uh uh-oh, they want to counsel me. The one went into the Greek orators, how that these men learned to speak with such power 
these men had the ability to move people because they would use imagery and, and master languages. And so he was telling me all these things, but he says, some of the principles that you brought out by the Holy Spirit in that meditational series, I never heard of before. And they wanted counsel from me. <laughs> and I'm sitting there squirming in my chair, and it finally got around. Where did you receive your education? I'm going... <clears throat> <laughs> oh, the Holy Ghost taught me. Yes, yes, we know that. But what formal education? <laughs> I finally had to tell them. And they says, well, we know the Holy Ghost is able. And He is. And it was a highlight. Because it was an attribute, it's a monument to the ability of Jesus Christ when you allow Him who has been sent to reveal Jesus to help your infirmities. Because your infirmities must be the things that hold you back. That likewise, He helps. Because when I don't know how to pray, He will put things into my power plant, the part of me that rules my life. Now, very, very closely. When I was driving through Tulsa, seen a house falling down, paint, fence, overgrown lawn, trash all over, broken down cars. The Lord said to me, the outside of the house is an exact picture of the inside of the man that lives in it. I ran home and mowed my lawn. <laughs> If your spirit had the ability to produce a Kodak photograph, you know, click, and we'd wait, and it would begin to materialize. Oh, my God. You know what it would be? What would come out? of that photograph taken from within her spirit would be an exact picture of everything that's surrounding her life. Because out of the treasury, and the heart's called a treasury for the same reason the U.S. Treasury's called a treasury because it picks up the bill on the national deficit. It keeps the United States running. That's why it called your spirit a treasury because it also supplies the ability. So your life would be a picture. And, and if you had managed to change the picture on the inside through meditation, praying in the Holy Ghost and the Word of God, it wouldn't be very long that your outward circumstances would conform to the picture. But the first thing you would pull out would be a picture of peace. So what's this picture of a stream with, with leaves and meadows? and <laughs> Peace. Peace. So a man, then he went on to say, you know the difference between a man that lives in that house and Walmart? I said, yeah, about eight billion. Do you know how much eight billion is? Eight hundred, well, one hundred million eight times. <laughs> that got through. <laughs> Ten hundred million eight times. I said, yeah, what's the difference? <laughs> the eight billion? Lord says, no. The difference between the two is what's working on the inside of them. Yes. It's in that you can change. You can use the life He's given you. For victory, you can bring revival to a city. Or you can lay around in self-pity and care. You can force yourself in here to pray in tongues a few hours a day. And even when your flesh screams and you hit impasses and it says, I don't want you to go in there, you say, shut up, your day's numbered. You can change it. Even when you don't want to, you can change it. If you'll just let your spirit have its way.
You don't have to be a failure. You can succeed where it really counts in the heavenlies. Remember last month when we was preaching and teaching on true exaltation? He says, don't invite your rich kinsmen and your neighbors for the dinner because they'll recompense you. You don't give to get. He says, invite the, the sick, the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind. Why? They can't pay you. God will recompense you at the resurrection of the just. In other words, don't give to get. That's self-exaltation. Use what God has given you to serve the kingdom and he'll see to it that you exalt it. When you lay treasures up into heaven, he'll take care of you here. So what? It takes a lot of gas to get to the meeting. He'll give you some more if you're using your time to pray with when you get here. <laughs> All right. Was this an interesting night or what? Did you learn some more? <laughs> How many is going to pray more in the Holy Ghost? <laughs> you think so? How many of you are facing an impasse, some kind of problem you hadn't been able to solve? Right? The answer is within. He's in there. He's been sent to help your infirmity, your inability to produce results, yours. He's God. Meditation will take you on a journey into the victory before you get there. <laughs>